Welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering, Arena, and no other erroneous platforms. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts, the other host, the charitable, the wonderful, the competitive, the always on point, Covert Go Blue. How are you doing today, my friend? Oh man, I have recovered nicely (laughs) from a thorough shellacking of my pride. (laughs) And my magical abilities. Uh, but I took it out on ladder. We'll get to that later. Uh, but uh, I, of course, am alluding to our showdown as we tried to get a show. An edu- we tried to educate each other, right, for a show for 2021 standard and what was good in that format. And um, yeah, you, you should tell people. You're going to be way more enthused about this than I will. You should, <laughs> you should tell the story. Okay, so I'll get into that in a moment. So yeah, the quick overview exactly is today we're going to be talking about the standard 2021 format, which is basically kind of the post-rotation peak that we're getting on Arena. You can actually play it in the ranked ladder in both best of one and best of three. So we were excited about this format and we decided to do some testing for the week and have a showdown uh, this Thursday, which also happened to be the featured uh, arena craft sponsored by Wizards of the Coast featured day. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today is that format. And hopefully it'll give us a peer around the corner to have an idea of which of the existing cards and archetypes might be good with the release of the Zendikar set. So nothing that we're doing here right now is ultimately going to matter if Zendikar upsets everything, but there's a good chance, especially with the power level of the, the sets that we currently have access to in Arena, there's a good chance that some of this will actually matter for the next format. So that's kind of what we're excited to figure out here so yeah (laughs) let's let's talk about this event because this is really this was the crux of what we spent our time doing was that we we organized this head-to-head where we were going to play we had a little misunderstanding about it but we ended up playing four decks against each other and we brought five decks to the table and we each got to select one deck from the opponent that they would not get to play and um, it's funny actually because at the start of this event, or maybe like in, in one of the first games, I remember someone came into your chat, CGB, and they were like, Are you bullying Arjuna again? And to be honest, I think like everything about this event was 100% Arjuna bullying CGB. <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> what? I've never been bullied in my life i <laughs> no one could bully me <laughs> i i think i was definitely playing the role of the villain in this event so so basically this is this is how it panned out as we were both listing off the decks that we were going to be bringing to the event right and somehow i managed to not only bring two adventures decks to this particular event but I also somehow managed to convince CGB to let me play both of them. <laughs> and By whining. To be clear. <laughs> I was really excited about adventure in this format, and I really wanted to play it in the event. And we 
we had this thing where we both voted out team or adventure from each other's list because we both just knew it was the best deck in the format. And I petitioned CGB. I was like, hey, why don't we both play team or adventure? Because it's clearly an important deck in the format. I kind of want to showcase it. I kind of want people to see the deck in action in this format. And CGB was like, nah, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. All right, you can play it if you want, but I'm not going to play it. And I was like, okay, you sure? Because it's the best deck. And he was like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. We're good. All right, so why don't we just go down the list real quick, CGB, and say what we brought to the event. So my deck lists were I brought Mono White Life Gain, I brought Teamer Adventure, Simic Adventure, Simic Epiphany, which is kind of like Gargaroth Epiphany, and Cycling, Borrow Cycling to the table. So what did you bring, CGB? No comment. No comment? <laughs> Just forget forget those decks ever happened. <laughs> Just forget them all. No. Um, uh, let's see. What did I play? Now, I, I okay. I had Teamer Adventures, which got banned. I banned Boro Cycling for you after your complaining. And then I also brought Blue-White Control. I also brought Mono Blue Devotion. I also brought Simic... Uh, what would you call this? Troll Reanimator? Yes. Simic Food, Simic Troll I guess. King. Yep. And I brought uh, Is It Prowess. Mm, okay. So I have to say, CGB kind of handicapped himself right from the beginning of this event by A, bringing in Prowess and choosing to play it first. Um, and and also letting me play Teamer Adventure. So he he started down, I would say, started down in the race. Um, and basically, you know, we, we played through this series. I ended up prevailing. And in a controversial kind of final game, when I was playing Simic Adventure, I went into the sideboard with my Fae of Wishes, and I wished up for both a mountain and an escape to the wilds for a su surprise mid-game transformational sideboard strategy. And uh, I escaped to the wilds and all hell broke loose on Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up prevailing that game and taking down the series, but it was quite an adventure. And um, if you guys want to watch either side of that drama, you can go into the VODs on Twitch and just see how it all went down. But, um, yeah, basically there were some people who were saying that I was cheating or kind of violating the spirit of the event, essentially bringing two of the same deck to the event. And uh, I'll, I'll let the audience decide one way or the other. But it was a fun series. So if you want to see these decks in action, that's a great way to go and see it. That. If you want. I mean, you don't have to. You can <laughs> you don't. take my word for it that I was destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did prevail. Let's, let's talk about the decks that we brought and what we thought was cool. So both of us coming into this event were like extremely clear that Adventures was like probably the strongest mechanic in the format and that Teamer Adventure was probably the strongest deck to be playing um, I don't know, like, do you have any comments on that, CGB? Any exposition as to why that is? I, I was, I felt the same way. Why that is, is because it's already a very proven deck in a broken standard format. Uh, over, over the last several months, it's been a broken, it's, it's been a great deck in a very 
a strong format, a format that did include cards that have since been banned. And it doesn't really change much other than the sideboard, I would say, and a little less consistency in the mana base, which if we wanted to deep dive on that, you it, it was work like it was workable. It, it was, was working. It, yeah. it was very workable, the mana base. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I also felt just like Teamer Adventures was an S-tier deck and anything that you wanted to do had to beat it. And we talked about it on one of my streams during the week as I was preparing for the format. When you put a when you put a bunch of the best cards in the format on a page and you look at them together, it's like, okay, great henge, but you have to have a creature of a certain power. You have to invest in that creature. It has to live. And then you play the henge and then you play other things and then it's good. Winota, you have to play a certain number of non-human creatures and also have these human creatures in your deck, and then you play it, and then it's good. Embercleave, you have to have this many creatures. One should probably have a power greater than one to be effective, and then it's also good. Like, there was all this conditional, right? Conditional, conditional, conditional. Or you can play a one-mana one-one and just start drawing two cards a turn for the rest of the game. Or you can play a two-mana artifact that's almost impossible to remove in this darn format and start getting double your spells for the rest of the game. Like, they just, they're cheap and they have no cost almost. It's almost a joke to try to play engines and go over the top of them because they're so cheap. They're so cheap. They're doing, they're doing busted stuff way before you can even start to think about yours. It's, yeah, I think that's most of it. Now, I will say this. I no longer think Teamer Adventures is the best deck in the format. Oh, okay. Upset. That's mm-hmm. that'll yeah. be an interesting thing for us to dive into for sure. We, we can come back to it, but yeah. uh, what? How about you? Is that what you felt going in? Was it that clear to you? Yeah, I. So, okay. The reason I brought Simic Adventure to the event is that. When I was first looking at this format, I was like, I just don't know if you can play a three-color deck in this format. And and it's just all about the mana, right? Because we only have basically tap lands, triomes, and fabled passages. And Tima, one of the issues as well with Tima Adventure specifically is that to support your beanstalk giants, you need to run a lot of basics. Like you, you need to run like 12 to 15 basics in your deck. And so what you end up with is a mana base that looks really terrible on paper. You know, you're running like four triomes, maybe four fabled passages, some temples, and then like 12 to 15 basics. Like that is not, that's not a tournament ready mana base by any means. And to combat that, I actually, in my flex slots, I ran two copies of um, Adventurous Impulse because I was just anticipating that I might need to spend one of my early turns setting up my mana. So um, so my first crack at it was I was like, you know, let's try Simic Adventure because this had been a deck which it had never been tier one, but it had kind of done some work in the previous formats. And the deck's plan was to do kind of half of the Teamer Adventure thing. And the other half was basically like Turbo Oro, where you're using Merfolk Secret Keeper to just mill yourself, which either finds you your Oros or gets you your Oros back from the graveyard. Oro was a card which never really worked in the teamer adventure shell and one of the main reasons for that was just that your cards don't end up in the graveyard the first however many spells that you cast in the game none of them go to the graveyard and so i don't know it's like by the mid game when you'd ideally be turning oro on you just don't have that gas there so it's really not a good 
It's just, it doesn't fit well with the theme of the deck. Yeah, it's a three mana play, right? And sometimes you gain, like you always gain three life. Sometimes you ramp, sometimes you don't, and you draw a card, but you're down board presence. And the Teamer Adventure deck never needs a three mana play. Like it's got tons of them, you know? Absolutely. It's like you go down the list and basically all of your adventure creatures, or at least all of the ones that you want to be playing in those turns are all three mana. So yeah, and the deck, it just doesn't need help with the ramp. It just doesn't need it. Frankly, Oro is just not a fit for the deck. So, but in the Simic deck, it made a lot more sense. And it, it was also just, you know, when I was looking down the list of powerful cards in the format and Oro kind of is at the top, in my opinion. Like, I think just on raw power level, if you look at the cards in this format, nothing touches Oro as far as, like, one-card powerhouse kind of power level. And that deck's fine. It's fine. I think you can run it on the ladder. I think you could hit Mythic. I think you could do work with it, etc. But then I just was like, well, let's try this Teamer list. And it turns out that the mana wasn't terrible. And just having access to Escape to the Wilds and Bone Crusher Giant and all that kind of stuff is just so powerful. Like you said, it's a proven deck. It's a powerful deck. I think that our game one really illustrated why this deck is so good. And admittedly, you had a terrible draw that game. <laughs> it, yeah, it was unacceptable. It was a mulligan into a nothing. It, the goldfish is very strong, we could say. <laughs> the goldfish <laughs> is strong. But... Here's the thing. My draw was was a fairly mediocre draw in that deck as well. I had neither... So usually in Team Adventure, you want to mulligan a hand which doesn't have one of your two power cards, which is the Innkeeper or the Clover. But I was looking at my hand. I had, a, I had all of my mana. I had like three adventure creatures, something like that. And I was just like, let's, let's send. And the thing is the fail state on this deck is so good. The fail state is you play like Bone Crusher into Resolve Bone Crusher into Bounce Your Thing with Faye. It, you know, and it was just like every turn of the game, I was making meaningful plays and doing stuff. And I was just playing my adventure creatures and that was it. And I, it was like in the final turns of the game, I drew Edgewall Innkeeper or whatever. I was trying to figure out how to cast a Stormwing Entity. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But at every point in that game, I was able to interact favorably while not doing anything busted. And it's just because you go down the list, you're like Brazen Borrower, Lovestruck Beast, Bone Crusher Giant, Fey of Wishes. These are just good cards. These are just some of the best cards in the format. Like a 1-4 flying blocker for 2 mana is a really good card. Anyway... I think that this list is really strong. I just don't see anything else in the format, personally, which can compete with that kind of cheap enablers, easy mid-game relevant plays with your adventure creatures, powerful ramp package, wishboard finishing. The deck has everything, in my opinion. All right. I'm going to leap a little bit ahead of, ahead of where I thought I'd talk about this, but it seems perfect for right here because I said that I don't think Teamer Adventures is the best deck in the format anymore. And the deck that I think is the best deck in the format is Simic Adventures. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Interesting. Okay, so... Yeah. And, and when you say Simic Adventure, are you talking about a list similar to the one that I played or are you talking about a different take on it? I'm. I never saw your deck list. Okay. I think it would be very similar. Um, I can read you what I played. Uh, spoiler: No mountain in the sideboard. <laughs> no mountain in the sideboard. 
Because I, I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't lie to How our viewers. How can you even call it Simic Adventure if you're not running a mountain <laughs> in the sideboard, CGB? <laughs> all right. Um, I'll, I'll just run the list down because it's going to be easy. It's like all four of us until we get to the sideboard. Four Merfolk Secret Keeper. And this, to me, is a perfect place to start because I think Merfolk Secret Keeper is the secret weapon. Mm, okay. Because Merfolk Secret Keeper, instead of Bone Crusher Giant, has three huge applications. Application number one, better mana, like you said. The mana in Teamer Adventures is workable, but it's not great. It's a little bit better if you can stick to two colors. Application number two, you get to play Uro and actually bring back Uro, which gives you three busted cards to put in your deck. Innkeeper, Clover, Uro. All right, you're playing four more busted cards than the other Teamer deck. All right, and then number three, it's your win con. They don't know it until it hits them, yes. but it's their win con. Yes, until and, you mill them for 12, 16, 20, and they're just dead. So, yeah, they can't really, like, nobody can keep your clovers off the battlefield. And we'll get to the sideboard, but it's got, like, once in future to get them back if they do get destroyed. So if you get to a game state where you've seen most of your deck, and you have three clovers in play, and you have a Murpho Secret Keeper in your hand and another on the battlefield, and you get an unsummon out of your sideboard, and you mill your teamer opponent, there's nothing they can do. They have to keep up with you. They have to be drawing cards like all game with their innkeepers because you're doing the same thing. You're both doing the dance. They're trying to get to a beanstalk giant kind of fling finish. You can get to milling out their deck before they get to that very consistently. Especially because they draw a lot of cards and they play Escape to the Wilds and stuff. I definitely yep, had yep. this happen on the ladder playing Simic Adventure, where Teamer Adventure was just like, I'm crushing it. Look at my board state. Look at all of these cards I've drawn, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oops, you're milled and you're dead. Oh, yeah. When they play when they play the Great Henge, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, yes, keep it going. <laughs> go. <laughs> I get them into this position. Like, I don't even always mill them out. I'll mill them down to like four. And mm-hmm. now it's like, what are you going to do? You, you mm-hmm. can't cast an adventure creature. You're going to deck yourself because you have three innkeepers in play. Like, you can't play any creature. You have Great Henge in play. It's just, they're done. Because there's no reshuffle effect anymore. They can't fetch Jace. They can't fetch Clear the Mind. Like, they can't fix their deck. No, and Thassa's Oracle is a creature, so they can't wish for it out of the sideboard. Exactly. So that the Merfolk Secret Keeper is a secret weapon. The rest of the deck is pretty straightforward. Four Edge Wall Innkeeper. Don't need to mention why. Four Fae of Wishes. You get it. Four Lucky Clover. Yep. Four Brazen Borrower. I think Brazen Borrower is like one of the best cards in the format. The sauce. Oh my goodness. It's so good. Four Lovestruck Beast to make sure that aggro decks are a complete joke in this format. Four Beanstalk Giants. The Ramp Machine. One Great Henge. Four Uros. And then I have 27 land, and three of them are Radiant Fountains, because the only thing I found that I needed was more time. Wow, life gain. <laughs> now, I want to know your opinion of the sideboard choices. Tormod's Crypt. This is for, this is for the Flare. This is for uh, the Zenith Flare, basically, but sometimes a row. Pretty straightforward. I, I just want to note one thing. The important thing about Crypt is that you can wish for it with four mana and play it immediately and have it down. That's, that's yeah. why Crypt. 100%. One miscast. Oh, spicy. The rest of the sideboard, once you hear it, you're going to sometimes need to protect it because you're tapping out for some very ambitious plans. One unsummon. This ends up 
both keeping you alive and being a kill condition for getting back your secret keeper to use it again, as oftentimes it's you need two secret keepers to finish the job. One Mystic Repeal for Annex, mostly. Doom Foretold. Uh, I've been running into that a lot, too. One Shadow Spear. And I'm going to name three cards. I'm going to name three cards. I basically built my own fling in Simic. Shadow Spear. Ram Through. Ram Through, yep. Primal Might. I <laughs> love it. Love <laughs> it. So this was one of my main issues that I was like, how do you get the fling combo in this deck? Because it really is an important alternate win con. Like sometimes you're looking at the board state and the only way you're going to win is by flinging your opponent out, right? So I, I was actually, I ran into this as well. And, and I, I love that you and I both reached the same conclusion, which is, wow, I could kind of make a janky janky fling combo with ram through and shadow spear because for those of you who don't know the combo your end game with a lot of these decks is you have like 15 lands out you play a beanstalk giant and hopefully if you have enough mana you can actually in the same turn you can resolve the giant go to the board get your flings and your other stuff and just one shot your opponent with them I love it. Have you managed to pull that off yet? Because I actually many many times. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'll get to my run in a minute. I have not yet actually pulled it off. I I ended up thinking it was more jank than anything. No, it's just winner, 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 chicken dinner. So CGB, is it safe to say then that I, Arjuna Perkins, co-host of the Arena Craft Podcast, broke the format? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I think he, that he is doesn't fair. want to give it to me. He just doesn't want to give it to me. No, I said yes. What more do you want from me, man? What more do you want from me, man? No, I, I, I think, I think you were right uh, on this one. I wish he hadn't put a mountain in there and soiled it, but I wish, uh, you know, I think, I think this was the call. But I don't think I just from talking to you today. I thought you'd be in here telling me how great Simic Adventures was, but sounds like you didn't know what you had. I, I still think that Teamer is the stronger deck overall. Um, okay, but okay. having said that, I have been enjoying playing Simic Adventure on the ladder, and I have won multiple quote-unquote mirror matches where my Simic Adventure beat Teamer Adventure. So, However, a lot of those wins came from my opponents just not, not knowing how to play very well. Or for, like I beat multiple Teamer Adventure decks who wished for such fun spicy wonderful useless stuff as perforos's intervention hmm, i've seen that that's the fling replacement for some people yep or sublime epiphany which spoiler alert just ha. don't just don't i could go on about this for years and years and years i but know if, but if you look down if you look down cgb's board and my board and, and most sane boards in these decks 90 percent of the sideboard is like one or two mana cards We'll see. I haven't finished yet. Oh, he hasn't finished yet. Maybe you have like a one-off Ugin as just kind of a savior, savior butt kind of a thing. But like, if you're wishing for all of these extravagant, flashy, expensive, like, or like people used to put mass manipulation in their sideboard, it's not how you're winning with these decks. The sideboard is mostly staying alive, answering your opponent's hard-to-answer threats, dealing with stuff that you can't deal with. You know, we used to have access to good counter magic, which is like rip. The, the counter magic is one of the worst parts of this current format. So yeah, I don't don't put that crap in your sideboard. Just like keep it lean and mean. You know, throw one or two alternate win cons in there, and and just leave the rest of it for interaction. But I would like to hear what else you had going on. 
Sure you would. Sure. After that rant, I'm sure you're going to want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Return to nature, we've got to blow up clovers. Um, when I when I play the mirror, I'm only thinking about two things almost the whole time when I play against Team or Adventures. I'm thinking about mana advantage and clover advantage. And that's what I try to progress every single turn until the game is over. If I can stay ahead on mana and clover, I should win every time. I, I barely even care about the board. Yeah. Like, you have a love struck beast. Cool. Um, Sorcerer's Spyglass. I have named the Planeswalkers. So the Planeswalkers of this format, they are not great. Like, they're nothing compared to the cards that are leaving with War of the Spark. But they are a lot harder to remove because we just don't have that many ways to deal with them. Yeah. And, like, Basri Ket minus six is really fast. Mm. And uh, Garrick just hits you for so much. Garrick so is, Spyglass, is a scary one. Yeah. Yeah. Spyglass is usually naming those. I have a neutralized because, like you said, the counter magic is that it's the worst it's been in a long time. <laughs> like, a long time. Like, CGB, if if they don't print negate into Zendikar, we are literally not going to have negate in our format. It's kind of scary. That's happened before. I've lived through this. It's just hard to remember. Wow, control mages just cry a, a sad tear there. All right, the Ugin shouldn't surprise you. Some decks like Mono White just can't beat it. They just roll over to it. Um, Once in Future we talked about, but Once in Future is a key part of this next one. I'm curious if you found this one. This is my other combo kill. Sleep. <laughs> sleep? <laughs> no, I even forgot that Sleep was in this format. I thought it was like an M19 card or something. I have won a ton of matches because I wish for Sleep and Once in Future and Sleep them two turns in a row and attack them with two Lovestruck Beasts. That's devious, man. I like that. Oh, there's a lot of decks that can do nothing about it. So Sleep is a perfect sideboard inclusion because if you main deck it and you draw it when you're losing, it's the worst card ever. Mm -hmm. But if you cast Sleep while you're ahead or at parity, it's a lot of times the best card in your deck. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And then the last one, well, no, there's two more. One is Radiant Fountain. Okay, just another The fourth another Radiant game. Fountain. Yep. I, another land. There's been so many times where I just needed one more land to do the thing I need to do. So, And then the last one is Overflowing Insight. Remind me what that one does. Four blue, blue, blue draw, target player draws seven. Love it. <laughs> the finisher. This is awesome because, you know, I literally sometimes forget the cards that are in the format. These are actually standard playable cards, and I just, eh, I, you, you could have fooled me, you know what I mean? So th that's really cool, man. That's some pretty sweet tech, I gotta say. And yeah, a lot of people, like in the teamer list, a lot of players have actually been uh, putting one Fabled Passage in the sideboard, which is just a really, really cool idea, right? Because it just, it fixes whichever mana you're short on, basically. And the thing is, you might think like, why would I spend a wish on a land? But actually what happens in these decks is that you have like two clovers out and you actually don't know, like you have one thing that you want to wish for. And then the two others are like, I don't know what I'm going to get. What am I going to get? And so being able to fetch an extra land is sometimes actually just the best thing that you can do. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, I'm not sure, I might as well take this to make sure I get to cast all my stuff. Because if I have time and I get to cast all my stuff, it seems... It seems so inevitable with this deck that you're going to win. It's kind of un unbelievable. I don't know if you've seen this CGB, but I have multiple times on the ladder where like I have two clovers out and I cast and I resolve my my granted. 
And my opponents don't even stick around to find out what I'm getting. You know what I mean? It's just like auto scoop. You're like, oh, great. Okay, they're going to get three of the best cards in this matchup in their hand right now. I'm just not here for it. Oh, yeah. All the time. And, and there's a jealousy factor to it. <laughs> like, how dare you? How dare you get sideboard cards? This is best of one. One. You can just tell, you can tell they're looking at their hand and they're like, bro, I spent this whole game grinding out to get to where I am. And you're just going to freaking regas in your sideboard? I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> yep. Yep. Off it. I've been on both sides of that multiple times. But this, uh, so I started playing this yesterday and my week preparing for this format, we could talk a whole cast about this probably, <laughs> was me playing with all the kind of familiar decks and strategies that I enjoy and getting absolutely dumpstered. I think I started the week around top 50 Mythic. I ended the week around 94%. Oh, no. Or no, no, going into our event. I was at like 94% from trying all this crap and getting destroyed by adventures over and over. And afterwards, like after our event was done, I just grabbed this Simic deck and I started playing. I think I went 29 and 2. Wow. And I'm back in the top 100. Wow. The two Nolly. losses, one was a black devotion list where it was literally like I drew worst possible. They, I was on the draw and they... Um, agonizing remorse, the clover out of my hand, and I was left with two beanstalk giants and lands, and I never drew another spell. So you know that it's like worst possible. The other loss was something we'll get to because I want to talk to you about this one, the mono white life gain deck. So we'll get to that in a minute. Yep. But deck strong. Oh my gosh! Just absolutely as as I think the kids call it now, farming the other team or adventure decks with Simic Adventure. Yeah. Just every game's the same. We both get a bunch of value. We both do a lot of cool-looking things. We both have huge battlefields, and then either they get the double sleep treatment or they get milled out every single time. So, you know, the funny thing about that is now I definitely... In, in the game that I played against you, I was definitely just trolling you by getting my mountain and my escape to the wilds from the sideboard. But I actually think that it's a viable thing that you could conceivably do because sometimes in these matchups, I, this happens to me multiple times where I'm, I'm looking at my opponent's deck and they're on like 30 cards. And I'm like, all I need is another Clover or another Secret Keeper to lock up this game. And so... Going into the sideboard to get my escape to the wilds is like partially just to dig to to find my my secret keepers. I mean, you have a draw seven in there, so that kind of does the same thing. Yeah, you could replace the radiant fountain and the overflowing insight with escape to the wilds and mountain, and we'd have the same like we have the same plan. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of genius. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Good job, man. Right on. Right. On. I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. You know, I feel pr I feel proud of that Matty game call. Good job. So a final thing I wanted to note, uh, and a place where my deck list deviates from yours, is that one of the things I was trying in this Simic list is playing a couple copies of Joel Rail as an alternate win con. And I really like Joel Rail in this deck for a couple of reasons. One, because the Joel Rail Oro combo is just a really strong 2-3 play. The other thing is that you draw so many cards in this deck and you play a lot of dorky creatures. So let's look at a scenario, you know, you have your secret keepers and your edge wall keepers. Let's say you get down a clover and you poop out a couple of one ones, right? And then you start drawing cards with your innkeeper and you'll find yourselves with these board states where you have Joel Rail and innkeeper, 
two or three one one humans, a couple of Merfolk secret keepers on the board, and like a Fey of Wishes. And you have like six cards in your hand, and you you think like, wow, I could attack all here and be attacking with 50 power worth of creatures if I turn on Jolrail. So that was an alternate thing that I was trying. I don't know if it was good, but it certainly won me games. Like getting to turn your Merfolk Secret Keepers and your Dorky 1-1s into f even just 4-4s with four random cards in your hand can be super strong. I found I had too many draws that I really wanted to keep, but Jolrail didn't play a part mm, of it. Yeah, like the, the Clover true. Beanstalk Fey of Wishes hand, right? And you spent your turn two on a two mana one two. I thought I could do better, but I also see that there's a huge upside mm -hmm. when the deck is running on the Euro plan, right? So yeah, I get it. Again, like I don't know if it's the right call, but it's definitely it's it's another powerful piece that you can play in the deck, and you do draw a lot of cards in these decks. So you know, it, it, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Moving away from the Simic Adventure deck, I want to talk about the testing process for this format a little bit and like my first impressions. So I started from a place where I thought mana is going to be clunky because temples are tapped, Fable Passage is tapped early. I expected things to be slow. So I expected monocolor aggro decks and devotion decks to be very good. Devotion, of course, was huge when it was first introduced with the first Theros. And with the new Theros, those decks didn't haven't really taken off. And before playing the matches, I would have thought like red or green to be number one, black to be around number three, white maybe to be number four, blue to be kind of a fun combo, which it is, uh, just too susceptible to Brazen Borrower for my taste. And after actually playing the games, it was kind of surprising. Even though the opposing decks had tap lands and temples and all these things, like the monocolor decks just had too many lame cards. Yeah, dude. most of them. Yeah, they there wasn't enough synergy. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, even the devotion. Even if you built in the devotion ones, like you're looking at them, these great cards like Embercleave, um, Demonic Embrace, Garrick, and Garrick's Harbinger. Like all of this get looks so bad against Lucky Clover into Brazen Borrower. Like the game just is over with a well-timed borrower all the time. And Bonecrusher Giant is such a beating. Like, there was no way to play these decks without feeling like I was running into a brick wall every single game. And oftentimes that wall had a name, and it was Lovestruck Beast. <laughs> and, you know, we, we've named three cards that are all four ofs in these adventure lists. And we didn't even talk about Fae of Wishes, just a two-mana one-four flyer that stops everything. And the only deck I found that was able to overcome this, it wasn't because of the raw stats of the cards, it was because of the synergy, and that was Mono White. And you found that as well, but you played it. I did not. A lesser man would do things like blame Twitch chat for leading him astray, but I wouldn't do such a thing. But since you played it, why don't you tell us about your game, our game with Mono White, and uh, your impressions of the deck and maybe how you found it. So the uh, all I'm going to say is the force was strong with me in that game. This is literally what happened, CGB, is that we were like 20 minutes away from starting our showdown, and I was short a deck. And I was like, what am I going to play for this showdown? And I was like, I just need something that has a strong proactive game plan, which I know can win a game of Magic, that I don't have to feel embarrassed sleeving up here. 
And I was just thinking back on my experience of testing on the ladder, and I was like, you know which deck has just kind of ranched me a bunch of times in this format? Is frickin' mono-white aggro devotion. Let's just sleeve it up. And I literally put down every card that I'd remembered seeing these decks play that was good. Did a couple, you know, a little meta gaming, cut cut down a couple of, you know, like you don't want to run Fod Linden's Steadfast Queen, right? So I cut a couple of those. But it was just, I, re- I crapped the deck list out. I mean, I really didn't put any work into it. And then I sleeved it up for our game too. And I basically got probably the, the god drawiest of ever possible god draw <laughs> games of this deck. So this is basically how it went. Turn one, speaker for the heavens. Turn two, two more speaker for the heavens. <laughs> so on turn two, we have three of these guys. This is on the play. Oh this God. is on the play, yeah. And you and you didn't seem to have a particularly strong hand either. I I didn't play any cards. <laughs> I played one land, and then I played a tap land, oh. and then I scooped. But whatever, go on. <laughs> so turn three, we have three three viable attackers. Turn three, I resolve Linden, the steadfast queen, swing with my three speaker for the heavens, which are all life linkers, by the way. Gain three life. Gain three life when they connect. So I'm at 26 life. We're already one point short of turning on the Speaker for the Heavens on turn three. So basically, we pass back to CGB, and it's like, unless he has Flaming Volley or whatever. Blazing Volley, unless, yeah. unless he has literally main decking Blazing Volley in his deck, this game is over. It's just impossible no you didn't you weren't done there you had to play like a selfless savior so you did i couldn't even like trade or kill one of your speakers so you were getting three angels yeah so end of story so the the upshot of this is that i swung out on turn four and at the end of the combat i still had three angel i mean three speaker for the heavens i made three sarah angels past the turn to cgb and that was that i don't remember a turn i'm pretty (laughs) sure i was already on to the next game it was it was destructive. It it was so and and actually, speaker for the heavens is really the card in my opinion, which gives you an incentive to still want to play this deck. It's actually a very 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 strong card and a card that I kept losing to on the ladder. In this deck, they they run four of the selfless savior and they run four of the Alcid of life's bounty. And like, if you cannot get that thing off the battlefield. They gain the life, man. Like, they get that. Unless you are just totally demolishing them, they get up to 27 life, and they start crapping out those angels, and it's really, really hard to keep up with that. Yeah, that was... I ended up walking away thinking that that mono-white life gain deck was actually the best monocolor deck in the format. Would you agree with me on that? Yes. And I don't think it's very close. Um, Speaker of the Heavens is kind of a win more card in that deck, but it needs to. Mm-hmm. Like, it needs to win more. Yeah. That's what it takes in this format. And it's a one-mana play that if it gets brazen borrowed is not embarrassing. And if they brazen borrow the angel, it's not embarrassing. You just make another. <laughs> so uh, I think that has a lot to do with the success of that particular deck. And I think it needs it. I am curious, did you find Hollowed Priest? Well, okay, I didn't find it, but an opponent found it, and I ran it in my deck. Yeah. Well, that that that's fine. Yeah. How about, did you have Bass Riquet in your deck? No. I found that not, I don't run a lot, just two, but in the games where your speaker is brickwalled and you don't have another life gain source, sometimes you're just not gaining the life. Yeah. If you have Bass you can attack with the indestructible, and it keeps gaining more every turn. 
it really is very hard for the opponent to deal with it if they don't if they couldn't kill it before it's actually a lot better than i thought it would be Mm, okay that's a really cool idea for me i just went on two lindens and three heliods and i think that was the only three drops i was running in the deck no luris either no you're right i did run two luris yeah oh okay yeah i think luris with the saviors and the bounties is just no you're right and the speaker of course it's such a plan b yeah and it has lifelink right so that's really nice yeah so yeah laris definitely forgot that one but i was running it and i was also running um two copies of far mana elspeth planeswalker yeah i had that too right because she can just hit that life gain so the deck runs plenty of good cards it does run some kind of janky win more cards like like speaker but i mean dude you can high roll so hard with this deck. Really? I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. This deck has some of the most busted openings in the format, I think. So, and I and I was. I was just getting ranched. I was getting totally ranched. And that the the priest that we're talking about is the what's the name again? The uh the Ajani's Pride Mate replacement. Uh, it's called Hollowed Priest, and it's a two-mana 1-1 one, one that whenever you gain life, you put a counter on it. It's a human cleric. So strictly worse pride mate, but Still it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, when did you ever need your pride mate to be one more? <laughs> Never. Never. Yeah. There are like there are some maybe edge cases, like for example, you want to play it on turn two and you're worried your opponent has a bone crusher or something. But yeah, you can just you can easily maneuver the game state to where you play this and then immediately just gain it up to be like a three three or a four four. So yeah, still worth playing, y'all. Put it in your deck if you're playing this archetype. This is a deck that if your opponent hits tap land, tap land, you can do some absolutely disgusting things and they can't recover from it. Every other deck, it's like, I mean, unless you play three fervent champions, they can probably recover. And even then, they might recover. Like, the other decks can't really open, they can't come out and just take over like this. Nope. And here's another thing. My opinion as well, and maybe this transitions into one of the deck lists you played CGB, but my opinion is this is not a great format for Elspeth Conquer's death. And I think that, you know, Heliod, the, basically the only card that Heliod worries about is Elspeth Conquer's death. So in a lot of cases, like if you get the Heliod down, he's just going to take over the game. Dude, they awaken the monster. This is what you are like in a format without Elspeth Conquer's death. Dude. You're just <laughs> smashing just smashing it that's all it took buddy that's all it took my blue white control list only had one copy of elspeth conquers death in it which gave people a lot of like huh what what the hell are you doing and it was like um the good decks it's terrible against them now the version i ended up laddering with and making a video with has four because i started playing against a bunch of really weird brews and i needed it but uh, the good decks like it's terrible against them so, so this blue-white deck, you're, it was a Yorian deck, right? Yes. Because that was I was looking down the list of cards, and I was like, look, Yorian is clearly a power-level card in the format, so worth trying. But I ended up, after my testing, I ended up not liking it. But, you know, you're definitely a much more experienced Azorius mage than I am. So what did you end up thinking about this deck? This deck, this deck is such a beautiful, wonderful... Um, they call it Chasing the Dragon in my chat. <laughs> Okay, it's a white um, whale kind of a thing. Let's, let's just say we ended up at 95% and it was mostly this deck. Uh, 
we went from mythic top 100 to 95% with mostly this deck. Um, so the good, Yori, the good way to play, Yorian has a ceiling on it named Ugin. It can't really beat that card if it resolves. It has a floor under it called Edgewall, Innkeeper, and Lucky Clover, and it can't really beat those cards if they stay in play. If it can get around those issues, it has this middle game where it it can do this dominant thing where you accumulate some value with this piece, that piece, that piece, and then you blink it all. Because of Innkeeper and because of Clover, I ended up playing four Banishing Lights. I ended up playing four Glass Caskets. Because my Yorian needed to draw a ton of cards to be relevant, I had Golden Egg, also because my freaking mana was terrible. I wanted to play Neutralize and Shatter the Sky, so I had Golden Egg in my 80-card deck. Surprisingly hard to hit reliably in a, in a two-mana, two-color mana base in this format. Oh, yeah, and because if you go tap land, tap land, you're probably dead. So you needed an, a critical mass of basics and castles, but you also needed double blue on three and double white on and four. And double white on four. That, was, that was the issue I ran into, mm-hmm. man. Hard to do. It was like... Actually, resolving Shatter on four was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. And in general, I found a lot of my two, a lot of my two and three color decks needed golden eggs if they weren't playing like Beanstalk Giant or Cultivate. So, uh, there's a tip if you're having trouble curving out: run more basics and run some golden egg. Still, like you can do all this work, and in the end, you're probably not getting very far ahead. I once again, I didn't play blue white because i thought it was an amazing deck i just thought i could beat your mono green list which apparently <laughs> nope chicken <laughs> nope the, the mono green i ended up not sleeping up for the event that, that's the one <laughs> i should have let you keep cycling just because i had a pretty good matchup with cycling and it was terrible until i found the soul guide lanterns which mm, yeah. basically shut down croxa uro cycling and they're a pretty good fit for that deck so I thought the matchup with cycling went from terrible to very good. I should have just let you keep it, but wah. Actually, I was going to, but wah, and so on. <laughs> <laughs> or manipulation, however you want to look at it. But yeah, blue-white, I don't. I, I recommend it for fun. I don't recommend it for rank, profit, tournament, anything of that nature. And the counter spells have to get better, and the answers to Clover have to get better before I'd consider it. Mm-hmm. This was the issue I ran into. It was the deck just ended up feeling a bit too slow, a bit too clunky, and and it just felt like I didn't quite have the answers I needed. I felt like I worked out the clunk, but the answers are just, they they, are, they don't exist, really. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no one or two mana destroy target innkeeper or clover, because you don't know which one you're going to play against. I had a hard time figuring out exactly why it wasn't working for me, because... I felt like I was playing a deck list that was very similar to like top tier kind of normal standard decks, right? Decks that you would see on the normal standard ladder. I felt like I was making very little modification to known good decks and they just weren't quite keeping up. So I don't know if it was just a metagame thing or maybe these decks get a lot more or used to, or, or, or I guess I should say still do get a lot more in the sideboard with their actual good cards that are still in standard. I don't know about you, CGB, but I found that we are losing a lot of really good sideboard cards with this rotation. Which is funny, because we were preparing for a best of one. But yes, it, it is absolutely yeah. true. There's a lot of... The, the Color Hoser sideboard cards are pretty much gone, except for Mystical Dispute. Right. It did not perform well for me. I will have you know that I actually tested 
with a CGB troll deck, which was basically just your deck that you beat me with in the showcase. The Niambi, Baron. Oh, yeah. Kind of yeah. infinite loopy. I actually thought that a deck like that could be viable in the format, but no. Nah, it, was... it had the same problems with Ugin and didn't have the answers to the other things. Otherwise, I would have yeah. played that deck, but it was even worse against Innkeeper and Clover because, I mean, I bounce my Baron. Like, what does that even do? What did you actually do with your time? Okay. Yeah, and bouncing adventure creatures is not where you want to be in life. No. Not even. So let's talk about cycling, because I think you and I both identified that was a strong uh, strong strategy in the format. Um, it basically loses nothing, and it's just still as fast and nasty and capable of killing you quickly as it ever was. So do we have any particular insight into that deck list, or is it just kind of a, yep, Borrow Cycling was good, it's still good, the end kind of a thing? Kind of a quick big picture thing, uh, and kind of why I can say I don't really like this format, if you don't mind me soapboxing for a minute. Yeah, lay it on us. I'm, 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 I'm Magic Boomer. And Magic Boomer Man wants to play decks that's are co- that can be categorized as color and theme. Like co- blue-white control. Like that is how I would classify it. Boomer Magic Man Me does not want to play a deck that can be summarized as color and one-block mechanic. Okay. Teamer, adventure. Boros, cycling. B- uh, Simic, mutate. I want a minute for Simic Mutate too when we get to it. But, but this, like, I really, these decks are very one dimensional. They're basically take the cards that have the keyword that are good, throw them into a deck, and you can play. And they're very beginner friendly. And I, they're usually budget friendly. So they have good things going for them. But for me, they do the same thing every game. And I am bored, both playing against them and playing with them. That said, the cycling thing, is very strong. If you can't exile their graveyard or interact with the stack, the Zenith Flare will kill you. It's that It's that straightforward. It's that simple. Every game plays out almost the same. The only variation is whether or not there's a giant fox attacking you while this happens or not. You know what I mean? So the deck is very, very good. A lot of people are playing it. It's going to continue to be good um, as long as people don't respect the graveyard or have a plan for it. It's definitely better in best of one because a lot of decks can't compete with it because they didn't respect it when they were being built. So that's my take on cycling. How about you? I'm with you. You know, the thing that I don't like about cycling is just that they made it as competitive as it is. I thought the Gates deck was a really good example of like a budget-friendly, competitive enough deck a deck that you could play into, I don't know, Diamond maybe. Maybe you could even get to Mythic if you really played it right. I thought that was a great power level to have your like beginner-friendly, mostly uncommons kind of a deck. And the thing that bothers me about the cycling deck is just that it's a little bit too good. I'm fine having a deck like that in the format, but it just annoys me that that's a totally Mythic-capable, like destroy your actually good deck capable deck i don't know i just feel like they cranked it a little too hard on that one so that's that's my main beef but i totally agree like when i was looking at this format and i think you were doing the same thing just going down the list of what's the what's the busted block mechanic in this set what's the busted block mechanic in this set yeah Ikoria with cycling and mutate and eldraine with adventure 
pretty much provided a deck in a box. You know, you just search for your keyword and you pick out the cards from that keyword that don't suck and you have a deck. Exactly. Well, okay, so so yeah, so we basically came down on mono green didn't seem good, mono red didn't seem good. I think mostly with those decks, it was just that they they lose too many good cards, right? They lose the uh, Pelt Collectors of the World, they lose the Vivians of the World, they lose Runaway Steamkin, they lose Light Up the State. Some of them are powerhousey plays, and some of the bets are cheap plays as well. I think that's one of the All reasons the good they cheap struggled. plays. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it's like those decks kept the top end, right? They kept the questing beasts of the world. They kept the Embercleaves of the world. They kept the Torbrands. All that, like, like three CMC and up were good to go. But one and two, which is a, which is where aggro decks live, man. Like you need your ones and your twos to hit really hard, and they just got gutted basically. My mono green deck that I ended with and thought about playing. This is it's really funny. It kind of has one drops because it runs Stone Coil Serpent and it runs um Lovestruck Beast. But like the curve if you look at the curve on paper, it's hilarious. It says I have four one drops, and I think that's counting Stone Coil Serpent. <laughs> and it says I have seven two drops, which is like scavenging ooze and and ram through, which isn't a two drop. And then it has like 10 three drops and 12 four drops. Like it's, it's an opposite curve. It's literally going up instead of <laughs> it's down. It's going in the wrong direction. Because there just weren't good cards to play and I needed power to beat what was what I was up against. It's, it's kind of, re- it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So don't, yeah, give those decks a miss. We're going to just have to get better stuff to be doing. And, you know, Zendikar, maybe, maybe we'll provide that for us. It better. So maybe we can just kind of quickly go through a bunch of other ideas that we brought and or messed around with. I actually saw you playing with a list I was hoping you would bring to our showcase, but maybe it wasn't good enough. You were playing a an adve- a team or adventure list focused around the Genesis Ultimatum. <laughs> did did that end up just being a meme? That is a pretty good deck, and just to let you know, it's almost all the adventure. It's like an adventure package with four Terror of the Peaks and four Genesis Ultimatums, taking out the Fae of Wishes strategy and what was the Flex Spots and I think there was something else that like wasn't playing. Just like running Cultivate to just power yeah. out a bunch of mana. Yeah, Cultivate and Beanstalk Giant. Uh, I don't think I had Clovers actually. I think I took out no. the Clovers. Did you play the Innkeepers or not? I think it had Innkeeper. But I'm not positive. It's hard to remember now. But yeah, basically, the idea was to cast Genesis Ultimatum one or two times, hitting Terror of the Peaks and Beanstalk Giant, which was an insane combo. Oh, it was it was sweet. It was insanely over the top. It it did nothing for for so much of the game. Oh no, (laughs) just no good early plays. No good two mana ramp. You had to start ramping on three, which is a lot worse than two. So you're giving up so many turns. You're basically giving your opponent four uncontested turns if you're on the draw. And if you just tap out and cast Terror and they do anything to it on turn five, like the game's basically over. Too many fail states. To to In a nutshell, it had too many fail states. But it was a very funny deck. I... I I, I had moments where I would like cast the uh, ultimatum and I would hit terror and two beanstalk giants and two lands and dome the opponent for 30 out of nowhere. Glory. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool use of beanstalk giant, right? Because it really it ramps you towards the ultimatum and then it finishes with the terror. So I, I thought that was, a, that was some cool tech there. Other things that I tried, uh, I did try Simic Mutate. 
it, I'll tell you what, it did some work against me on the ladder, but I, I ended up running into the same issues I always did with that deck, which was basically just that consistency was an issue sometimes, and it was really, really weak to removal and wraths and stuff. So, Can I ask you about a card? Did you find Simic Mutate with four Rangers Guile? <laughs> I did not play Rangers Guile. A thing that I liked, which had been played in some number in previous lists was unsummon not only a way for you to blank an opponent's removal spell but to rebuy all of your mutate triggers i definitely lost to that card a couple of times i started with the unsummons but once i got into ranger's guile mutate it was like i built my own paradise through it and i just kept protecting it it was kind of amazing plus you can be attacking so it was like this strange beatdown deck where you're building one threat and then trying to find a ranger's guile to protect it every turn Kind of, yeah, and it's kind of like a boggle strategy, right? The reason it worked good is because the opponent could have two clovers and a brazen borrower, and Ranger's Guile, if you only have one creature in play, just counters the stack of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they lose that fey, uh, that borrower, so that's nice. Yeah, and that deck was good. Like, um, I it it was. It needed scavenging ooze. Like, I had two scavenging ooze for the cycling matchup, so you could get that out and exile the cyclers from their graveyard so flare didn't kill you because otherwise that matchup's terrible it got to run four gem raisers though um yeah gem raisers is strong card in this format yeah oh yeah put in putting the clover down also all those randomly enchantment creatures that just lurk around oh, oh they take a beat. If, if you get to gem raiser and annex that's one of the best feelings in the entire world and obviously Mutate is the best home for it. I thought it would be mono green because of standard, but Mutate, you get the Mutate triggers of other things and you get to wreck their stuff every turn. It's yeah. It's dynamite for some decks. But the 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 hard part with it was ending the game. And I started with like a Thassa's Oracle Thassa thing, so I could just deck myself and win. But that was way too it was just terrible if you actually drew them and there were so many things that could go wrong like we were talking about brazen borrower right like it's in everything so i ended up with a kiora best the sea god for Ooh, the sleep effect attack. oh yeah. yeah for the sleep effect and an ugin to exile all the small things and get through with the big things but the deck oh my is god. good cgb I'm so glad to hear you running one, count them, one main deck copies of Ugin. I can't tell you how many decks on the ladder in this particular format I see people just running too many freaking Ugins. It's like, get these Ugins out of your deck. What are you doing? What are you doing? I was playing against this. It was like a Golgari. It was some kind of dirtly like Golgari life, or maybe it was an Ozov life drain deck. No ramp, no nothing. I got to this place where I was in a good board state, I was crushing them, and they just slam an Ugin from nowhere. And I'm like, what is this doing in your deck? What is this doing? Like, I was so tilting. And it, the, the most tilting thing was that it won them the game. Oh, I was going to say, you wouldn't be upset in this story if you had just proceeded to thrash them. <laughs> so, like, the fact that they were doing it, like, this is the worst thing in Magic, right? Is when someone does something, when it's wrong, when it works, and you lose. Worst feeling ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i think if they throw in the gg it's a little worse <laughs> <laughs> and they bm you yeah yeah but but yeah people are just running too many ugins dude it's like cool run one in your mutate deck to randomly hit it sounds great people are running like two or three copies and it, it is it is wrong i'm just gonna i'm gonna put it out there it is wrong don't do it you're more into the one of kiora best the sea god than the two ugins 
Oh, well, okay. Here's the thing. I actually don't even love Ugin in this deck list, right? Because how's Ugin furthering your plan? The whole point of this deck is that you're flooding the board with creatures. The plan A of this deck is that you want to get Auspicious Starx and then mutate another Auspicious Starx onto it and just put your entire deck onto the battlefield. So like, what part of Ugin plays into that plan? I think we're on the same page because I think the player that you're kind of preaching to here is the one who says, well, it's an amazing card, so I'm going to hit Ugin. It's like, that's the best thing to be doing. But they don't really think about what they're going to do with the Ugin. For me, the Ugin has a very clear role. The mutate raises the the casting cost of all these cards. Like a yeah, mutated creature like Asterix has a five casting cost minimum. Ugin is there to wipe out all the small stuff that would Just block. like the darky chumpers and stuff. Yep. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to get Ugin. I'm going to minus for like two or three. And then my larger mutate creatures get to hit the opponent and win. In a way, it's like the QR best the sea god, right? Which is going to tap their stuff. But it does it the next, like QR does it the next turn. So this deck isn't a one-shot kill most of the time. This deck is a, I'm going to get way ahead on board with a threat you can't remove because I have Hexproof uh, from the Ranger's Guile, and I'm just going to clear the way. And I'm going to clear it over two turns. I'm going to clear it with Ugin one turn and Kiora the next turn. Which is, no, that's gas. Yeah, I, it's a I plan. totally hear that. Like, that's the thing, though. It's a plan. Most people are like, Ugin, it's mythic, it's Ugin, it's in my deck. Three copies. You know... And we don't have to go into this because, you know, I don't want to just talk about adventure, the whole thing. But it's kind of the same reason I complain about people running Nissa and their adventure decks. CGB, I noticed that neither you nor I seem to be running Nissa in any of our adventure decks. Brad Nelson is an advocate of it. Seems like good players are doing it in the regular standard version. So clearly, you know, I'm not going to argue with people who are much better at the game than I'm ever going to be. But it just seems so off-plan to me. What does Nyssa do for your adventure deck? She doesn't get you card advantage. The deck already has mana advantage. The deck already has really hard-hitting five-mana plays with Escape to the Wilds and stuff. Like, what's she doing in the deck? It's the other plan. It's it's the... I, I tell people all the time to put Nyssa into their decks that they send me for advice. Because... Their deck just needs something else. If if your strat you don't want to play cycling in every format. <laughs> where we throw our deck at the opponent, if they can't answer it, we win. So in adventures, I can see how some people think it's a one plan kind of thing where the whole deck kind of achieves one goal. The good news about adventures is that the whole deck actually achieves a very flexible goal anyway, and it has a whole sideboard of ideas. Uh, so I never feel like I'm playing a one-note deck with adventure. Every deck feels kind of different um, because there's so many options. But I get where the NIS is coming from. It's the other plan. It's the, here's the thing that you can't quite answer. And I will say this, if you're worried about a mirror, there the deck doesn't have the easiest time answering Nissa. So if one player has a Nissa and the other doesn't, then they have to stop what they're doing, which is basically the complete accumulation of value, clovers, and lands. The clover advantage, mana advantage, I talked about it. The player who has the Nissa forces the other player to stop that plan for a minute and do something about Nissa. So I think that's the best argument I can make. That's It's so interesting because I, I felt consistently in the mirror that the player who resolved Nissa, who took the turn off to resolve Nissa, usually lost. And it was because you spent five mana to resolve a Planeswalker that made one creature that doesn't matter in this matchup. And I spend five mana to basically draw five cards. Maybe it's just because I 
have been playing decks that if I'm playing the mirror, for example, like Nissa is not a problem for me. I can just bounce it. You know what I mean? I can just bone crush it to death. So maybe it's just that it plays well against a number of other matchups that might need kind of a get out, get out of jail free card. I would guess though that they're probably doing it wrong if they play it on five, right? I mean, yeah, isn't it, it could be the people are yeah. just yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to play it when you can use the mana advantage, like now. Like yeah, right. Now. That's true. Like I think playing Nissa into a board with like ten plus mana and then having Fey in hand and stuff, like you could definitely, definitely just go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see a twinkle entering your eye just for a <laughs> second as you think about that. So maybe, uh, actually, maybe I could even run one in the sideboard. I remember Brad saying that he was running one in the sideboard. So maybe maybe that's where I could. But I just like, I don't know, like don't compromise your main plan to run it. Anyway, all right, let's move on. What other decks do you want to talk about in this format, CGB? I'm going to give a list. You can tell me what you think. I think, I think the best deck is Simic Adventures. Do you agree or disagree? Um, I think one of the adventures, whether it's Teamer or Simic, I, I actually haven't decided myself on that. I, I think it's the best meta deck, because okay. I think it just hits the meta so perfectly. I think the best mm-hmm. overall deck is Teamer Adventures. Uh, I think that the best creature deck is actually the Mutate deck. I mm, really do. Okay. I, I think that if you want to play creatures in this format, if if you're like just kind of the green mage, I think that's your jam because the creatures do so much. If you were previously the mono green dude, then you should now be the, the mutate dude. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. I think the best combo deck is cycling. Yeah. Bar none, like far and away. And it really doesn't matter much what your early game is. Beating them down with a fox or a stinger is great, but just the double flare. You're just trying to double flare them before they interact with your graveyard. And yeah, I bet I think the best aggro deck is, we talked about it, mono white. And I think that, I don't think anything else is really close. I can't think of a single other deck I played that is in the ballpark. You might ask once again, why did I play blue-white control and blue devotion? And is it tempo and the answer to all that is i have poor taste and has nothing to do with my twitch chat <laughs> well the is it one you only played because i have poor taste so <laughs> so there you go oh oh the irony of you ending up playing that deck you're a brave soul cgb and i appreciate that about you i i treasure that about myself thank you Yep. Um, one one deck we didn't hit that I did want to touch on briefly was um, I actually thought Golgari Adventure could have a home in this format and Ooh. was just roundly disappointed in that deck. Mm. I, oh yeah, could not hang with <laughs> the other adventure decks. Couldn't really hang with the aggro decks. This is what I felt about Golgari Adventure was that I was doing a bunch of stuff and none of it mattered. You know, I was just like, Wee! I drew a bunch of cards, and the cards I drew sucked, <laughs> right? I was like, I'm looking at this hand of seven cards that just suck. I was playing that, um, what's the uh, Reaper of Night or Reaper something? Reaper of the Night, yes. Reaper of the Night. So I was playing this deck, and the idea is that you copy the Reaper Adventure, and you make your opponent discard four to six to a million cards. And I remember this game where I, I got like the turn four Reaper of Night opponent discards four cards, and I was like, 
Sweet, I just won the game. The opponent had one card left in hand. They trounced me. <laughs> yep, yep, I was <laughs> going to ask. They trounced me. I was like, bro, if I make you discard four cards and I still lose, this deck is heinous. This deck is heinous. So yeah, so don't don't try Golgari Adventure. Agreed. I can relate to that story so much. Did your uh, did your Troll King deck go anywhere, or was that mostly just kind of that- a meme? I, I'm pretty sure that chat wanted that deck because we had a game where I brought back the Troll King on turn three and played a Great Henge. Oh, nice! On turn three, yeah, it was, okay. uh, it was a good. It was a good. It was a good turn. Didn't turn out yeah. to be a very good deck. Oh, the other deck. Okay, so one of the things I brought to our showdown was Simic Epiphany, and that was it. Was just a version of a deck I'd played to Mythic on Ladder a little while ago. And it was just like Joel Rails, Oros, Teferi Master of Time, Gargaroth, Sublime Epiphany, kind of fill in the blanks around that shell. I don't actually think that deck's good. It's it's just it's like a pile, you know? It's it's a mm-hmm. Simic pile deck. You play strong cards, you know, if your opponent can't answer your Gargaroth, you win. Or if your opponent can't answer your Joel Rail, you win. If your opponent can't answer your Oro, you win. Nothing about the deck is abjectly weak, but it's it's just not actually a plan. It's just a pile of cards. So that ended up being my thought about that. I found Epiphany to be really bad against Adventure because what can you really mm. do to it? Like if they have a Clover, Innkeeper, and some Adventure creatures, like what does your Epiphany even do? That that was my yeah. experience with the card. It's a win more card. I mean, let's be real about it. I can see why, for example, the Team of Reclamation decks were playing like one or two copies because they have a billion mana, right? And so if you have that much mana and especially that much mana untapped that you can afford to have untapped because that's the entire game plan of your deck is having a million untapped mana, then great. Play the best counter spell in the format, which is obviously that card. But other than that, in my tap out deck, no way. Yeah, not for this format. As So I think we've talked a lot about the 2021. We've made our recommendations. We've talked about the best deck of different types. I'm pretty sure that that covers it very well. Are you feeling optimistic about the future of Standard after playing kind of a future Standard type of format for a week? Okay, so that's an interesting question. Um, My first gut response is this format is missing a lot of cards. A four-set standard is just a very narrow standard. And this with Zendikar, it's going to be a five-set standard, which is still going to be fairly narrow. We've been kind of glutted on this eight-set standard for a long time, so we've gotten used to being able to throw together a respectable deck in just about any archetype. There were definitely forerunners in every meta game that somewhat invalidated certain archetypes, but you could always build a decent aggro deck. You could always build a decent control deck. You could build a decent combo deck. Whichever archetype you wanted, you could kind of put it together. And one of the things I'm feeling right now is we're going to need a lot of support if we want to be able to play aggro, control, combo, mid-range, all of this stuff in the format. We're just missing we don't have a negate. We don't have a really good red one-drop aggressive creature. We don't, you know, we don't have this. We don't have that. The lands need to be better. The power is there. We have power. We have finishes. We have build arounds. We have good expensive spells. We still have some, you know, reasonable ramp ideas. So so there are like shells that are kind of still there. But I feel like the glue is missing. So I feel like Zendikar is going to need to provide a heck of a lot of glue. It's going to, it's, I almost feel like, um, the meal has the main dish, but it's missing the carbohydrate. 
is missing just like that kind of thing that just fills it in and actually makes the dinner satisfying. So that's kind of how I'm feeling about it right now. How does that measure up with, with your thoughts? We make fun of potato. We call cards potato. <laughs> but God darn it, man, do we need some potato. <laughs> yeah, dude. We need some potatoes in this format because here, here's the way that I would like, I, I, I want to try to summarize it with throwing a question to you because I think you'll have a similar opinion to me. If there was a Pro Tour played in this format, what percentage of the field would have Edgewall Innkeeper? Yeah, I mean, it would just be redonkulous. 80%. 80%. Yeah, I agree. There just wasn't that much that could beat it. You'd have a few people try the life game deck. I think nobody would play cycling. It's way too easy to beat after sideboarding. It, and it just can't plan B. It just can't. And I think mutate, there might be some crazies trying that. I bet there's a way to beat it that wasn't explored because I didn't really care about trying to beat it, quite honestly. But yeah, I think that Lucky Clover and Edgewall Keeper would be in the range of 80% of that format. And I think that's messed up. So it just goes to show how the, the card advantage engines are just too cheap and too free. And it's still Eldraine, man. It's still Eldraine. Oh, it's Eldraine. And it never stopped being Eldraine, my friend. It's It always has been. What a set, dude. What a set. It might be the most powerful magic set ever printed. By the time uh, we, we get to next week, or maybe there's one more week after it. I always forget, but we're really close to getting previews. And pretty much every preview I'm going to be looking at is like, can we attack a freaking adventure deck with this? You know, that's that's the most important thing to me. And uh, I think that's where the format starts and ends. I'm with you. And, you know, I mean, let's give Magic players credit. Like a lot of people have been looking to adventure as the biggest winner of rotation because it is like, like you were saying, it's it's kind of like the most powerful single block synergy that we have in standard right now. And so that's a natural place to look for for a deck that's going to be mostly unbroken with rotation. So, okay, if you want to play standard competitively for the rest of this month and just moving forward, I think that you are safe to invest in adventure, period. Bone Crusher is is just going to be in this format until it rotates. Borrower is going to be good in this format till it rotates. Lovestruck Beast is probably the one of those three that may fall off, but probably not. It's probably, probably still not. one of the safest crafts you can make. These cards are just good. Like, okay, Escape to the Wilds, eh. So if you're feeling worried about that, then make the Simic deck. Because I'll tell you what, Oro's not going anywhere. <laughs> nope, that's a safe one. So yeah, I actually think, yeah, um, I'm glad that you highlighted this deck so much because talk about a rotation-proof strategy. I just, even if the strategy falls apart... All of the cards in the deck are fine to invest in. They're great cards. Zendikar's really going to need to shake things up. I'd like to see Zendikar make aggro good again. If aggro's not good, I think that this upcoming format's going to suck. I'm, I am concerned. I share concern that it's kind of a one-note adventure into adventure into adventures format, and I'm scared. Yeah, it, like it's either going to be an adventure format or it's just going to be some other kind of cultivate Oro ramp nonsense thing which is already so enabled and stand that everyone's sick of right so we need to rein it back on these mid-range value eventually go over the top piles and i just feel like we need to 
we need a good aggro deck. We need a good control deck. We need these foundational aspects of magic that keep the game diverse. And like, we just haven't had that for a long time. Straight up control. Okay, sure, Gabriel and the Seif can still win a tournament, but like your average pleb just can't really get there with control for months and months and months now. So that's what I would like to see. Agreed. And of course, I'm covert go blue. It's, you don't have to ask too much more, you know. You know, you're, you know you're speaking my language. Well, CGB, I'm really... Thanks so much for putting your heads together with me. And I, I do. I think we broke the format. I think probably in one of these next episodes, we're probably just going to do like a rotation primer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, if you're excited about standard content, basically for the next couple of months, we're just going to be churning out the standard because there's going to be a lot to talk about. So definitely tune in. Check it out. We're going to be talking about all the standard-related stuff that you guys want to hear about. All right, that's going to cover it for the show. Thank you so much for joining us for another week of the Arena Craft Podcast. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're also on Spotify. We're also on YouTube. have been releasing some more YouTube content. Also, just reached monetization and community level status on the YouTube channel. So thank you all so much if you're listening to this on YouTube, supporting on YouTube. We deeply, deeply, deeply appreciate you. Keep leaving comments. Keep subscribing. It's it's kind of blown up. So thank you guys so much. You can also join the ArenaCraft Discord. It's a really excellent place to see deck lists, get more information about the show, etc. Also, as a result of the featured streaming and CGB's help, etc., the Twitch channel is kind of moving along and blowing up as well. Had a lot of engagement there lately. So come say hi. And I, I'm going to be working on getting a regular streaming schedule together here very, very soon. So I'm excited to continue to work on that and make that a thing that you can do. So follow ArenaCraft Podcast on Twitch. It's a thing, man. It's happening. And also that um, monetization on YouTube requires like 1,000 subscribers, and I think it's 3,000 or 4,000 watch minutes. So the people are behind it. Great job, man. It's happening. Thank you, listeners, and thank you, CGB. Speaking of CGB, you can find his content on YouTube as well. Man's been crushing it for forever. And uh, you can also find him on Twitch. He streams Monday through Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Always a good time. All right, CGB, I am super stoked to catch up with you next week. Have a good one. You too. Later. Peace.